Oral questions by members? Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, earlier this week, the NDP Finance Minister declared in this House that inflation is, quote, good news for people. Well, tell that to the families. Tell that to the families that are facing the NDP's middle class squeeze in their households, Mr. Speaker. The only ones celebrating right now are the NDP's bloated ranks within government, where the Premier's office alone has inflated the numbers by nearly 80 percent. Overall, the public sector has grown under the NDP by 36 percent, Mr. Speaker. That's an astonishing 140,000 new positions in government at an additional cost of over $17 billion to the taxpayers of British Columbia. When will the Premier end his inflation-driving spending that grows the size of government while delivering horrible results for people and effectively shrinking people's paychecks at the same time? Minister of Finance. I really thank the member for this question because it's, it's really important that, that we clarify what the hiring we've been doing and maybe ask the member opposite if his party wouldn't want to hire the thousands of nurses we've been hiring. If they wouldn't want to hire the thousands of teachers we've been hiring. There was a dearth of people in the public sector that needed to be hired back, and we have been doing that, and doing it because people want services. People need those services, and they need the people to provide those services, and that's just what we've been doing. Gamblers North Thompson, supplemental. Well, thank you. Well, you know who could use some nurses? Merit, so their hospital didn't keep shutting their TR. But if the minister would like some examples of where they could cut some of their bloated bureaucracy, here's a few. The office of the premier overflowing with consultants. That has ballooned by 80%. An entire crown corporation set up by this NDP to manage their community ripoff agreements. Let's not forget the four new VPs at BC Ferries, the 70 VPs and health authorities, the NDP government's communication staff, where numbers have soared by a shocking 37% for spin doctors. No amount of those spin doctors can change this fact, Mr. Speaker. Despite record high spending, British Columbians are seeing record low results across the board. Results are what actually matter to the taxpayers. When will the Premier realize that his inflationary spending is driving up costs, expanding government, and shrinking people's paychecks? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and the member's just wrong. I mean, we, we are investing in people in this province. We're investing in hiring public service so that they can continue to provide the services that people in this province want. The cuts that were made under the former government are we're still catching up on. And people, yes, we need more nurses. That's exactly why we're hiring more nurses. We need more people working in the social service sector. We need more people working in, in, the, in the education sector. And that's who we're hiring. We're making sure that we are getting those people to provide the services that people in this province need. 
Member for Kamloops, Northampton, second supplement. What this government has done, they bloated the bureaucracy, they're soaring costs for everyday British Columbians, and they're shrinking those same British Columbians' paychecks. That is the NDP's new normal. In just six years, the NDP has doubled the debt and set new records for inflationary deficits in BC. And who's really benefiting? Well, the Premier and his cabinet, who awarded themselves an undeserved 10% pay raise, uh, their political staffers that got a 17% pay raise, and meanwhile, over half of British Columbians are less than $200 away from being able to pay their monthly bills. And that number grows every month, as does the line at the food banks, Mr. Speaker. When is the Premier going to give British Columbians an actual break instead of padding his own pockets and those of NDP political insiders? Here, here. Minister of Finance. Mr. Speaker, we understand that there are challenges in this province right now. I mean, we, under, we totally understand that. And we also understand that we need to support people to ensure that, that they can get the supports they need. And that's why we have invested in people. That's why we've invested in our child care program. We are putting over like $900 back into people's pockets, back into people's pockets every month. You know, the MSP, the MSP was the biggest tax cut in the history of this province. Members, 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 please. Minister will continue. Who did the MSP tax benefit the cut benefit the most? It benefited seniors. Seniors who had to pay that MSP, especially once they retired and didn't get it through their work anymore, that's what we hear. We hear seniors are so grateful for that. We also, you know, I also want to talk about the BC family Order. benefit. Members? Please I can continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, the BC Family Benefit, yes, the, the, the Liberals brought that in. I'm not, not this party, but the Liberals brought that in. And um, they brought it in for kids six and under. We expanded that because we recognize that you need to have that support right until your children leave home at 18. I would happily expand more on the many supports we've given to people, but Thank again, you. Mr. Speaker, we recognize that people need the supports because, unlike the members opposite, we are not going to cut services. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Under this Premier, the ICBC monopoly has become bloated and broken. It's true. Internal operating members, members, let's hear the question, please. Well, we'll get to it in a second, Mr. Speaker. But internal operating expenses now exceed over a billion dollars. There's been an explosion of high-paid executives cashing in under this premier. Uh, but assistance for accident victims has been slashed by a shocking 30 percent, even as collisions increased. In this NDP's new normal, 34 cents of every premium dollar goes not to helping drivers but to ICBC's own bloated operating expenses. Results matter. When will this Premier admit that ICBC is spending more on itself than it provides in benefits, proving yet again that the record high NDP spending equals record low results? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Well, I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to talk about ICBC 
and I'm happy to talk about the move to enhance care, which resulted in significant savings for the motoring public in this province. <laughs> on average, on average, $400 a year, Honourable Speaker. $400 a year back into the pockets of motorists in this province, Honourable Speaker. And on top of that, because of the change moving to enhanced care, Honourable Speaker, we were also able to put back premiums to, in the form of rebates to, um, to the shareholders, the motoring public in the province of British Columbia, to the tune of over a billion dollars. That, Honourable Speaker, contrasts with the record that they had with ICBC, where they used the motoring public as a tax gouge so that they could fill the coffers to avoid uh, spending on services in other parts of the province. Honourable Speaker. Sorry, White Rock Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, it, it's like an NDP dishonest Black Friday sale. Because what they do is they jack the rates up 25%, Member? and then they bring the rates down 25%. Let's call it what it is. $200 million in the red, 45 executives, and over 1,200 management staff. Under the Premier's direct watch, the number of employees with six-figure salaries at ICBC has more than doubled. 400 managers at this time. Why doesn't the Premier cut ICBC's bloat and inefficiency which serve as yet again another glaring example how their record high spending there, it actually means they're getting record low results. Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Only the, uh, the opposition could possibly say that having lower insurance rates is a failure, Honourable Speaker. Only the opposition, Honourable Speaker, only members, the opposition would object members, to members. almost a billion dollars going back into the pockets of the motoring public over and above the cheaper insurance rates they're paying, Honourable Speaker, in this province. Please continue. The only people being left out in the cold, Honourable Speaker, will be that side of the House after the next election when that party over there becomes the official opposition. House Leader of Third Party. Members, members, members. Members. We are wasting time. Please continue. Mr. Speaker, yesterday we see another audit of the tragic outcomes in the Ministry of Children and Family Development. This ministry needs to be torn down brick by brick, rebuilt. Yet what we have is a minister who is little more than an apologist for the status quo, Mr. Speaker. Why is this Premier permitting this dereliction of duty under his watch? What is the magic number of so-called heartfelt apologies before this Premier actually addresses the systemic failure of the MCFD? The accountability vacuum at the highest levels in this ministry send a message to everybody else in the system that there simply is no accountability. These children have been neglected their entire lives. Now they're, they're neglected by the system, by the minister, by the senior staff, and now by this Premier. Mr. Speaker, will the Premier replace the Minister and the senior staff 
with people who have the capacity and the willingness to the, the systemic change that's needed in this ministry. Minister of Children and Family Development. Well, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. I absolutely hear his passion and his concern, and I agree with it as well. Having spent time on the front lines, Honourable Speaker, and many decades in this sector, I too am passionate about making sure that children are loved, that they are well cared for, and that they are nurtured, and that they're, they're safeguarded and they're supported to thrive and to fulfil their potential. We know, Honourable Speaker, that for far too long, Indigenous children and youth have been overrepresented in the child welfare system due to the colonial history and the so-called residential schools and 60 scoop. And our government has taken steps in, uh, to demonstrate our commitment to change that. We're supporting Indigenous jurisdiction. We've harmonised care rates for out-of-care with foster carers. We increased foster carers' rates by 47%. We're seeing the lowest number of children and youth in care, and we still meet, need to make transformations to the system. I am absolutely determined to make sure that we continue to make those improvements to keep all of our children safe. Member has supplemental. Mr. Speaker, yesterday in this House, the Minister of Children and Family Development admitted that basic social, uh, social work policies and procedures were not followed, essentially admitting to not doing her job. To my BC NDP colleagues who are discomforted by this question, the nerve that I'm touching here is actually hypocrisy. One set of standards for Stephanie Cadieu and another for themselves. We will see if this Premier actually measures himself against the values he had when he was in opposition. John Horgan made this same point to the former Premier Christy Clark. On October 7, 2015, he was unequivocal. The minister, he said, was responsible. He demanded the minister protect children and not the institution, and he called for new leadership. Horgan said, quote, bring in new eyes and a new vision for protecting children of British Columbia. Our current premier was in the background of that video nodding in agreement, Mr. Speaker. There was a culture in responsible governments where ministers who embarrass the government resign in order to protect the honor of the office. It appears from the behaviors of this government that there is no honor left in this ministry. Mr. Speaker, to the Premier, will he demand a resignation or fire the minister and the senior ministerial staff and restore some honor back to this place? Minister. Thank you, Honorable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. Um, it is a very, very serious matter that the member is raising, and it is in my head and in my heart every single day that we need to continue to be making improvements and that we need to continue um, safeguarding children and youth and making sure that every child and youth in the province is safe. I um, have directed ministry staff to make sure that we have made changes and that the changes have been fully implemented and have put measures in that will do exactly that and will safeguard all children and youth around the whole of the province. We're also bringing in an independent um, consultant to review the measures that we have taken to make sure that they are being effective. Um, and we're also accelerating the hiring of the Indigenous Director of Child Welfare. And so we have taken measures, Honourable Speaker. We've put extra layers of accountability in to make sure that those measures are effective because 
this kind of a tragedy cannot happen again, and I am absolutely driven to make sure that this does not happen again. Thank you. House Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, this NDP government told Surrey voters that the decision on the issue of policing in Surrey would be a decision for the City of Surrey dependent on the outcome of the municipal election. That clear promise made by the NDP has now been broken by the NDP Premier. Mr. Speaker, respectfully, this NDP Premier was appointed to leadership in an internal process that was mired by scandal. British Columbians did not choose this NDP, premier to, NDP leader to be their Premier. There was no provincial vote. As such, the NDP Premier does not have the democratic mandate to overrule city voters or the city of Surrey. Members, member will continue. Member will continue. Will this end? <laughs> Shh, members, please continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will this NDP Premier commit to restoring the integrity of the democratic process by allowing British Columbians who live in Surrey to make a final decision once and for all on this issue? Will he commit to holding a democratic referendum on the issue of policing in Surrey? Yes or no? Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, I'd like to uh, remind the, uh, the member from Abbotsford, um, who crossed the floor after being elected uh, as a member of the BC Liberal Party, and now, and now wants to sit as a member of the BC Conservative Party, um, that uh, some could question, and sometimes there have been bills in this place um, from even some of those members that if you cross the floor to join another party that you should resign and then put your, put your name forward in front of the electorate at the next election, Honourable Speaker. Member has supplemental. <laughs> Members, let's continue with the all right. Thank Never. you very much, Mr. Speaker. I did not hear a yes or a no. <laughs> Members. What I heard was deflection, but I did not hear a yes or a no. So once again, to the Premier, why does this NDP Premier believe that his opinion is more important than Surrey taxpayers? who were told in no uncertain terms that their vote would determine the future of policing in Surrey. Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, I'll give the same answer um, to the question around a referendum that I gave um, a number of months, almost a few years ago, which is no, there won't be a referendum. The decision on going back is based on work that needs to be done in the submission of a plan that would ensure safe and effective policing in terms of a transition. 
We went through all that, the decision was made, uh, and a decision is now in, 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 the, in the form of legislation, Honorable Speaker. What re is required now is for the City of Surrey to work with my ministry, the RCMP, provincially and federally, to make the transition happen. And I'll remind the member that three former Solicitor Generals from the party that he used to sit with uh, said the decision that was made was in fact the right decision. Independent member for Parksville Qualicum. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Let me begin by commending this government's progress at the Nanaimo Regional General Hospital. Six net new high intensity and acute beds replaced an intensive care unit that opened in 1970. And it was my great pleasure to join with the Premier and the Minister of Health to reannounce the cancer center at the hospital. But Mr. Speaker, this hospital opened its doors in 1963. It has 260, sorry, 360 beds, but regularly serves more than 400 patients a day. And what that means is it's now normal for patients to expect care in hallways, in converted storage rooms, even in the basement, the chapel has been converted into a four-room bed. Patients at this hospital deserve better. The staff are delivering incredible results despite this. And we're waiting for government to come to the table. Island Health has a plan to solve this. They are proposing a new patient tower and a new catheterization lab. Local government has shown significant leadership on this file. The question I have to the Minister of Health is very simple. Will the BCNDP government listen to Island Health Will they listen to staff? Will they listen to patients? Will the BCNDP fund the heart catheterization lab and the patient tower at the Nanaimo Regional General Hospital? Minister of Health. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And the commitment of the government, as the member suggests, uh, to Nanaimo and to patients in Nanaimo is high. That's why we made, uh, we, we made the long-awaited decision to build and open the ICU. Why we made the long-awaited decision to uh, build and it'll open next year, the high acuity unit. It's why later today in Nanaimo, I'll be making a significant announcement about care for residents in Nanaimo, not at the hospital, but in the community, which is vital. Nanaimo's issues are high priority issues for us. We've made unprecedented investments there. The investments made to date um, uh, are more than $700 million, when we count today. So we're gonna continue to focus to improve care for people in Nanaimo. Member Supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I appreciate the Minister and this government's commitment to the people of Nanaimo, and uh, the opening of the long-term care centre in Lanceville will provide significant benefit to people, but it doesn't answer the question at the hospital, which is that it is an overcrowded and under-resourced facility for people in our community. Cowichan, brand new hospital. Comox, brand new hospital. Campbell River, brand new hospital. West Coast General in Port Alberni, and the Tofino Hospital undergoing significant renovations, and so far we have seen six net new beds at this hospital. Island Health has a plan. The local government is committed to funding it. And the question, again, to the Minister of Health is will the BCNDP government commit to funding the heart catheterization lab and the patient tower at the Nanaimo General Hospital? Minister of Health. Honourable Speaker, the member is right. We have the most expansive capital plan for hospitals in the history of the province, in every region and in communities across them, 17 major projects across the province. Some of those major projects include a very significant investment in the Nanaimo Regional General Hospital. The member will know 
that the Cancer Center, and we should expect to see the business plan in this calendar year, as we expect to see it in Kamloops, that, that investment, uh, which will be between two and $300 million, is at the hospital. The high acuity unit is at the hospital. The ICU is at the hospital. Our commitment to Nanaimo Regional Hospital is, I think, been demonstrated not by discussion, but by action, and will continue to be. Member for Prince George Wilmount. Well, thank you very much. And only the NDP could spend more money and get worse results, whether that's in health care or ICBC. In health care, the NDP employs 70 vice presidents with six-figure salaries, compared to Alberta, who have seven. Yet health care outcomes have never been worse. Corporate costs have surged by 94%, and that totals $1.3 billion of taxpayer money. One vice president last year alone pocketed $617,000. Most egregiously, nearly $350,000 of taxpayer money was paid to Albert de Villiers even a full year after his arrest for child sexual assault. So while families in this province are struggling to make ends meet, how can the Premier justify spending more on bureaucracy when the results for patients in this province are getting worse and worse? Minister of Health. Speaker, um, uh, you will know, because we've canvassed this in the House before, that there were 64 vice presidents under the previous government. We have added vice presidents for Indigenous Affairs, something the opposition, when we did it, supported. So that's the number of vice presidents we have, exactly the same as was there before. With respect to administration costs, they have gone down as a share of the budget, and we, we are, I think, second in Canada, and they are below what they were in 2016-17, according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, on administration costs. We have been focusing on frontline workers. It's why the number of registered nurses, which declined, it actually declined, not in percentage terms, not in share of the budget, but in nominal terms, in actual terms, the number of registered nurses went down from 2009 to 2016, Honourable Speaker. We've added 5,221 this year. Member for Prince George, Wilmont. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the minister might want to actually have a conversation with the people in Merritt, in Elkford, in Penticton, in Smithers about how they're feeling about the outcomes of health care in their communities. And let's not forget that the Premier added another layer of bureaucracy when he, in fact, hired Penny Ballam as a part-time health care advisor. That piles on to the staff that already exists in the health minister's office, including two chiefs of staff. We have five health authorities, the Provincial Health Services Authority, and a deputy minister of health that has 31 staff members. Hospitals are in chaos. ERs are closing across British Columbia. But by all means, let's keep adding more bureaucrats. Let's be clear. Will the premier stand up and justify the NDP new normal. Let's add more bureaucracy, let's spend more money, and all the while, the results for patients in British Columbia are getting worse. Minister of Health. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, last year, um, we led Canada in new nurses, Honourable Speaker. 
We led Canada in new registered nurses. We led Canada in new LPNs, rate of growth. We led Canada in nurse practitioners. The number of nurses increased by 6.7%. This is according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information. 6.7% in BC. Well, it actually went down in the province of Alberta that, the, that uh, the member was reflecting was her policy, Honourable Speaker, what she was supporting, Honourable Speaker. This year, we've had a record year for nurses. Why? Because we've increased and improved pathways for internationally educated nurses. We're training more nurses, Honourable Speaker, and we've signed an historic uh, agreement with nurses to support them in every part of British Columbia. Member for Caribou-Chilcotin. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. While British Columbians grapple with the Premier's middle-class squeeze, his record-breaking inflationary deficits deepen the misery. New reports re reveal that the NDP have hired 600 undisclosed bureaucrats for, quote, other budget 2023 priorities, end quote. That is akin, Mr. Speaker, to an entire Canadian military regiment. Yet the NDP remains mum on who they are, what they're doing, or how much they're paid. Mr. Speaker, after seven years and two elections, British Columbia is left with nothing but record high deficits and record low results. The taxpayer-funded public sector has swelled by nearly 140,000 people at a cost of more than $17 billion per year. That's nearly double the bureaucrats hired by the entire U.S. federal government since 2017. As families struggle, Mr. Speaker, to make ends meet, how can the Premier possibly justify such high inflationary deficits with the worst results ever? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I just want to clarify with you a, few, uh, a bit of misinformation that the member is sharing. Yes, he asked me to please do, so I'm only too happy to suffice. Um, you know, I need to make it clear to the member that, that BC is actually an economic and fiscal leader in, in our country. We, we had over 51,000 jobs in this province last year, and that's so far this year. Our unemployment rate is amongst the lowest in Canada. And last year, our job growth was mostly in the private sector. So, <laughs> you know, our job growth. Members. Actually, our Let job the growth. Minister, was, finish, please. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Our job growth was three times higher than when the BCUP leader was a finance minister. In fact, 2022, there were 62, almost 63,000 new jobs in both the private and, and, and uh, like 54,000. 54,000 of that 60, almost 63,000 was in the private sector. In 2012, 2012, 17,700 jobs, 17,700. We also, something that the members seem to forget, we have the highest credit rating in the country. The highest credit rating. And, and business Ma is investing. Members, members, BC, members. You know, 
Okay, members. It really is. I, I, I want to quote the member opposite. You know, I quote the, you know. Members. I just, I would love to go on to talk about the businesses that are actually investing in BC. And we recognize that people are struggling as well. And we have brought in significant supports for people. Because unlike the members opposite, Mr. Speaker, we are not going to cut services to people while they're suffering. We are going to ensure people continue to get the services they need in this province. The bell ends the question period.